The Thing 1982 with Ben Ford. In this episode, Ben Ford will explain, as if he has to, why The Thing is one of the greatest horror films ever made. You'll also find out what he really thinks of the 2011 remake. And if all that weren't enough, you'll also get Ben's hypothesis for how Joel acquired his amazing British accent. This episode's indeed a jolly holiday for Mary. So I am here with the one and the only, which, by the way, I realize I think I've introduced virtually everybody. The one and the only. And actually, yeah, yeah. well, in this case, one of two Ben's <laughs> that, that I know of that listen to our show on occasion. Yes, I'm here with Ben Ford. Hello. Not the Australian one, by the way. I've Good night, Yeah, yeah. Well, see, close. I would, as far as my, my ears attuned to it, I've been like, oh, you are Australian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, stick some. Uh, get, would you want a tinny? Stick I, some. See, I, that means nothing to me. I just know throw another shrimp on the barbie. And, and, you know, well, not in that accent, surely. Yeah, well, of course that was not. That was that was that was. Um, no, it was a test accent. That wasn't my. I, I know you've got a, a, a being being a young man from 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 the UK. I know you appreciate my unbelievably accurate interpretation of the yes. Cockney accent. You, your your interpretation is definitely um, from Mary Poppins, isn't it? it? It pretty much is where I got it from. It is my <laughs> Dick Van Dyke. Oh, it's a every holiday with Mary. <laughs> Mary. <laughs> when Mary holds your hand, you feel so grand. <laughs> you'd you'd fit in so honestly so well over here. Trust me. I'd be the I'd be the dumbass American that everybody could laugh at. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, I am here with Ben. Ben Hello. Ford. That's right. How you doing, Ben? Very good. Very, good. very good. Yeah. I, I really appreciate you stopping by, like as if this is, you know, you hanging out the house. Stopping by for the 2014 Spooky Flicks Fest. Oh, it's a privilege for me, definitely. The privilege is all yours. It is definitely all mine. It is yeah. all yours. And, <laughs> and, and the honor is all mine because you are bringing to the table a movie that we covered long, long ago. I believe in the very first the very first incarnation of the Spooky Flicks Fest, way back when. But it is a movie that, honestly, if it were up to me, every fourth to sixth episode, we would just recover again. <laughs> because it's one of my all-time favorite movies ever, period, end of story. Yeah, I won't give away what I think of this film, but I think it's just amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to give it away. Uh, yeah, But it actually not... turns me on, physically. <laughs> yeah, I guess and it's not so. that kind of movie. <laughs> No, fucking definitely not. <laughs> so, what movie did you want to trip down memory lane with? A trip down memory lane with The Thing from 1982. Uh, indeed. John Carpenter's. The only filmmaker, by the way, who, for whatever reason, I give a complete and utter pass to that pretentious, douchey, where they put their name and then the possessive as if they're the only one who made the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you mean. Yeah. yeah. Now, when when he does it, I've never even blinked. It's like, yep, it's John Carpenter's fill in the blank. When Eli Roth did it, <laughs> hey, not so much. <laughs> I was like, if you want to claim ownership of that, go right ahead, buddy. So anyway, not to completely derail us this early in. So the thing, I, I 
is this a movie that you experienced at a young age or is this one of those later in life kind of movies for you? Yeah, I'm similar to you, Joel, because I've heard you many times saying that you were sort of you watched horror movies, didn't you, as a kid and mm-hmm. stuff? Mm-hmm. I was very similar. My mum would actually sit with me and watch movies. See, my mum was the exact opposite. <laughs> on that was one. it your dad? Was it who? Yeah, my dad was. It, it, my parents were divorced, so I'm pretty confident it may have been this passive aggressive way for him to retaliate, yeah. just to let Joel watch whatever the hell he wants, just because he knew it got under mom's skin. But that being said, yes, he was the one I typically watched those movies with. But what's interesting is I was trying to I don't I have no idea. So anybody that goes back and listens to the thing episode from 2011, I honestly can tell you I have zero idea and memory of what I said then. But going based on this moment here, I don't remember the very first time I saw the thing. Same for me. It definitely wasn't 1982. No, no, that was E.T. That was E.T. for me in 82. (laughs) I didn't even get to see that back then, weirdly, I think. I preferred the idea of watching the thing. No, it was. A, <laughs> no, I would have seen it much later. I mean, I definitely. I mean, what was eighty two? So I'd have been six years old. I would definitely mm-hmm. seen it from about eleven. I was probably about eleven or twelve. I reckon mm-hmm. I would have seen it. So I'd have been on vi- video. Yeah. Stage, yeah, and um, scared the crap out of me then. I must admit, but I've always liked the horror genre. Definitely, it's mm-hmm. just one of those ones that I think is it's one it's one I'd sort of go to first out of anything else. You know, for some reason. So when you say you like the horror genre, is it a across the board or is there let's get one thing straight modern horror i'm i'm, I'm sort of this sort of all changed a bit now isn't it i like this sort of film yes. where yeah for a start i much prefer real proper um what's the one i look for i don't like the cgi You're no. practical more practical type yeah of i love practical and i also like these films that are sort of they scared, the reason they scare me so much is because it's very foreboding. Do you know what I mean? You're mm-hmm. not quite sure what's going to happen, and the that tone. scares the crap out of me. Yeah. yeah, but I love Halloween as well, which is obviously another Carpenter film as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, about eleven. So I suppose it's not that good, is it, to watch it at that sort of age? But and I must admit, watching it again now, I mean, I've seen it loads. I've got it on Blu-ray now, and watching it again now, I've watched it many times, but I haven't seen it for quite a few years. I've got to be honest, you know. And I, and because I picked it up on Blu-ray cheap, mm-hmm. I thought. Perfect, it's not a perfect chance to go and watch it again. And Jesus, this movie holds up. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it does. It really does. Yeah. yeah. It, it is a, I probably watch it every few years, every, maybe every four to five years, it seems that something comes up and I just have the opportunity to watch it. And it, it doesn't particularly scare. I mean, I find that a lot of movies now that I, if I try to sit down and it's obvious that that's what they're intending is the shock value. It just doesn't, it just, it's like, okay, that was gross, but it doesn't do anything for me. Fear-wise, but there's something about just the whole atmosphere and the situation and the paranoia and the performances, just all of the pieces in this movie. And then the music, which for years and years and years, I thought it was just like every other Carpenter movie and that he wrote the music. He did not do the music. No, he gave it to old, uh, was it, I can never say, is it Morricone? Yes. Yeah, I never, I can never say. It's either, or or if you're from the Polk County area, where which is where I'm at. Morricone. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah. Enio Morricone. Enio <laughs> Morricone. Yeah. But I mean, of course, you'd know him more from the Westerns, wouldn't you? Sure. The yeah. The... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's just an amazing soundtrack as well. But you're right what you said there as well. And it's, and, uh, do you know what? I think it's one of the best dog performances I've ever seen in my life. Oh, that's yeah. great. That dog is awesome. Yeah. But that scares me. And it's that sort of thing. The way that yes. dog, because listening to some bits on the Blu-ray, the way that, I mean, Jesus, how did they manage to get the dog to do all that sort of stuff? It's pretty clever. Oh, it, re- it really was. I agree with you 100%. And I also, yeah. I, I actually, I, I retract my earlier statement. And when I think, I think what it is, the moments, it gets under my skin. I was just saying this, what was it? You know what? Maybe it was Halloween. I was just talking to Daryl, our buddy Daryl. 
it, he he covered Halloween and which I thought was funny because he was on our original <laughs> Halloween episode. I was like, you really love this yeah. movie, and you don't feel like doing the research. <laughs> so <laughs> and and. and we discussed that. I was like, I felt like it didn't scare me as much. It's like anything else, right? You see it the first time and it's not going to necessarily scare you, but it's still, as we talked about the moments in the movie, like when Tommy's looking out across the street, right after the sunset, you can see the shadow of yes. Michael outside of Lindsay's house. Just those mo- it gives me the creeps and the heebie-jeebies just thinking about it. Well, that's the point. And going back to the thing, it's the, it's the thing wondering when the thing's going to turn up. Yes. For the first time you're watching, it's like, oh, God. And, that, and it, it gives you a scare jump when it initially happens, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the reason, because it's got practical effects as well throughout the movie, the first, the, the, I mean, there's things all sorts happening in there. I mean, to certain scenes, they actually use real organs. And because it's all practical, you know, like mm-hmm. they use animal organs and things like that, you know. Mm-hmm. It's a bit more shocking, rather. If it's a CG thing these days, you, it's just like, for me. It's like playing a video game. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Not, so it doesn't scare me. But no. yeah, it's a weird one. Yeah, not not that I'm going to completely and utterly derail us, but that is why I and I realized what the bar was so unbelievably low as far as the new Star Wars movies go. But mm. the very fact, did, have you seen Kevin Smith's talk at Comic Con about getting to go on the set of Episode Seven? No, I haven't. You, you YouTube that. That is that is. If he's, if he's truthful and he seemed very honest in what he was interpreting from what he was seeing and he couldn't say much, but what he said, that tone, if that's what they're doing, because it's, it's not CG, it's all real locations. They're not doing the green screen crap. They're not, I'm sure there'll be some they're, CG. They're going to have the CG probably, um, the, the older cast members, aren't they? <laughs> well, yeah, that's, yeah, that's called plastic <laughs> CG. <That's, laughs> although I'll tell you what, man, they all, I, I saw some images Carrie Fisher, she's lost a ton of weight and got in shape. Mark Hamill did. And I kind of like the idea of Luke being grizzled and just, you know, Obi-Wan. I want him to look like Obi-Wan did in the in the first oh, movie. Okay. I've not seen anything at all. So I perhaps have. I'm just. I'm trying to avoid plot points because there's stuff coming out now about characters. I don't want to know any of that crap. I, don't, I want to be surprised. Uh, yeah. But just seeing glimpses of things like the fact that the Millennium Falcon, I think they actually built a one to one scale millennium falcon oh that's incredible that's it but the fact that they did that because i'm sure a lot of the millennium falcon will be cgi when it's flying through space they're not going to necessarily do the motion control thing but just the idea that they're going there so my point is the thing the reason why i don't want to say i get a warm fuzzy watching the thing because that just sounds weird but you know what i mean like you it feels comfortable it feels like home to me and i i know that well that movie's not supposed to make you comfortable and it's not doing its job no it's not what i mean because it still gets under my skin but there's just something when i think about it when i sit there and watch it even in pieces i'll see a scene of it and it just it feels right yeah i mean i've actually got a bit of a man crush for um kurt russell oh, who the well. hell doesn't <laughs> seriously man he's awesome yeah i do everything he seems to everything i've ever seen him in he seems to really sort of excels the actual film for mm-hmm. me it's, it's it's pretty cool but yeah it's it, and also i mean i'm terrible remembering what a lot of people have been in but there was the chap in there went there from la law <laughs> uh let me see who was in there from la law dysart was it um what was his name i really i gotta be honest, the only person i remember from la law was dr giggles and and the, the chick from the partridge family <laughs> Oh, Richard Dysart was he? He was like the main. The oh, okay, Richard. the older guy, the one who has his yeah, arms, yeah, yeah. the one who That's... sticks his, the dock or whatever. He sticks his arms in the sit in the cavity. And there are a few moments in this as well where it does. You think you're not going to be. I mean, not once you've seen it a few times, but if I can imagine him watching it for the first time, there are some definite jump scare sure. moments. You know, yeah. Sure. And and who was the? It's Wilford. Was it Wilford Bramley? He's the guy. I remember him from Our House, which we had over here. Yes, as well. I remember that it was yep. Shannon Doherty and. Yep. The blonde lady who was on the soap opera, Days of Our Lives, I can't remember her name. 
She was on a soap opera here for years. No, we, and, we never had that over here. Yeah, that's one of those soap operas that ran 40 years or, or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And she Joey, Joey, Joey Petribion. Honest, yeah, yeah, the the yeah the uh, smelled a fart school of acting. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we'll, so I remember him in that. But he like he was the only one on set. See, on set, a lot of them actually felt physically sick doing a lot of those scenes. And I can imagine so because I sort of stare at it thinking, I don't know if I could do that. I don't think I could put my hands into a body and actually take out those organs and stuff. You know. Whereas with CG, you wouldn't have any of that, would you? You wouldn't even see it. So yeah, which, so. but but that's the question. Now, some people make the argument actors by the very nature of them acting, everything is pretend. None of it's truly real. So if they're great actors, then it shouldn't matter. But I, I think there's something to be said. I mean, if you listen to an actor talk about how they get into a performance, there is a process that requires a certain aesthetic. I don't even know. Maybe it's not aesthetic. I mean, it's an aesthetic, but there's almost kinesthetic. I think that's what I was looking for. They have to touch the props. They have to wear the costume of the character that they're going to portray. So I remember there was an interview with Chris Pratt who plays yeah. star Lord in the new guardians of the galaxy movie. And he was talking about, he was trying to figure out how star Lord would walk because the right. guy's been, you know, ever since he was 12, he's been in space and he was trying to get this down. And for some reason he couldn't get it right. And he felt it was important to the character. He has to have a swagger, but there he did. And he said, he put on the coat, and it changed everything. Now, had they made him some motion controlled like, where they put the black, unitard all over his body with all the little dots all over him so they could cgi you wouldn't get that that's true i think there's not to both styles of acting actually isn't there? without a doubt sure because look at andy circus and look what he's able to accomplish yeah. i thought my favorite movie of the summer was dawn of the planet of the apes and he was free. if he doesn't get nominated for an academy award from that screw them yeah because <laughs> he was yeah. incredible He's done an awful lot in video games. I mean, you know, the uh, the podcast that I do, it's a video game podcast mm -hmm. as well. So mm -hmm. we obviously cover a lot of that. But he's been involved in a lot of really highly acclaimed video games for his uh, performance capture as well. Oh, so he's incredible. Uh, yeah. But then again, name name three other performers that can do it like he can do it. Or even close. There isn't. There isn't. I can't anybody. come up with anybody. No. I mean, so, I must admit, it's not my forte, that, that but, but I can't think of anybody. But no. I mean, if you think about performance-wise, how many people i mean he does get a lot of it he gets a lion's share it seems of the really visible work but yes. off the top of my head i can't think of other actors now i think of other it's actors. a relatively new technology though isn't it as well yeah so. that's true no that's a good point that's a very good point so the in in the thing we're obviously not going too in depth on the plot we're sort of making the assumption i am anyway with a lot of these bonus episodes that people listening to them have seen these i movies. hope so yeah if not go watch this yeah, one. please yeah <laughs> but what would you say is your favorite moment from the thing? Um, from a from what I don't know what things from, from from a technical side of things, definitely all of that uh, creature creation. Mm -hmm. And I particularly like the scene, you know, sort of near the end where they do that effect where all the um, the floorboards fly up. Yes, that's really clever. I mean, that I should imagine was expensive to do mm -hmm. if, because you only really have one chance of doing that, didn't you? I think sure, and I think that. That you bring up another point when it relates to practical, the response you get when you think of those effects is how did they pull it off? How did they make it work? Whereas if it was made today, you'd go computer. They didn't need a computer. My kids asked me to watch a, a more modern movie. Daddy, how'd they do that? Computer. And it makes me sad because I mean, I know that's how they did it. And I don't know what the program was. I don't, I'm sure it took a lot of time to program it, <laughs> but it's essentially, that's what it was. So there's no magic to it. There's no magic. It's a different up form, yeah. Whereas I think the problem when you do everything inside of a computer, it's a machine. And I think there's something 
missing and I can't quite put my finger on it, yeah, but yeah. it just feels off. Absolutely. So it's a personal opinion. You don't have to agree with me. That's life. You know? <laughs> now, on the other part, which I really like, I like the um, acting across the board, actually, oh, in particular, yeah. as I say, Kurt, yeah, I have to say, is my favorite. And the other thing which I want to sort of just touch on really briefly is how the hell did they not, I mean, there was no female characters within this movie. What no. were they doing for the old, uh, you know? How did they survive for so long out there without getting... I'm just going to assume it involved magazines <laughs> and industrial-sized tubs of uh, certain lubricants. That's all. Well, actually, I'm married, so it's pretty similar for me, I yeah, suppose. Yeah, well, you know, to each... <laughs> I say this a lot, to each his own. <laughs> we don't judge here on the Forgotten Flicks podcast, Ben. <laughs> Except for unless you're a CGI, and then we'll judge the hell out of you. <laughs> So. Yeah, he's just one. Of, I think he's one of those ones you can watch it so many times. You know it's yes. going to come, and it's just, it's very it's just, rewatchable. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's another one. You, I think you were covering that as well, weren't you? Somebody. It's, oh. Well, of course you could do that in this as well, couldn't you? At certain points, even though it's very, very good, the practical. There's there's a, there's one sort of scene where you can visibly see sort of a man holding up this thing. You know, it's just. But that's you got to remember, it's thirty odd years old. You know. But for whatever reason, the story is so compelling. The music is so perfect. The editing is so, everything is so great. And how it, you, I didn't even, I don't care. <laughs> it, it doesn't bother me. Exactly. Didn't pull exactly. me out of the movie. No. And the other thing I want to, I don't know that I ever mentioned this in the previous time we covered it, but the fact that this is the one John Carpenter movie that he did not write as well as direct and that he didn't do the music as well yes. as direct, that actually is a fantastic movie. Because if you, it's something, something odd happens with him. When he writes and directs the movie, at least the old, in the olden days, they were always superior. But then you can tell if it was a movie he did not write, I don't know if it's just his heart wasn't in it as much. He doesn't feel as connected to the material. I don't know what it is, but they seem to lack something. Yeah. And this is true more so with his later work because he didn't write as much with that. But, I, I noticed a pattern. If you go back and look, the movies that he wrote and directed, they definitely stand the test of time and really go down as the classics. Now, it's not true. Because In the Mouth of Badness, I really like, and I don't know that he wrote that one. I know he directed I just don't remember if he wrote it or not. I can't help you with that. Yeah. But, you know what I mean? It just seems that yeah, way. Yeah. So this is the one, because I think William Butler wrote this, and if I'm not mistaken, and then Ennio Morricone, he did the music, and Carpenter just, quote unquote, just directed, but it's stellar. Absolutely. I just need to ask, have you seen the, was it the 1951 prequel thing? I know I have, and I remember pieces of it. I think I saw it when I was relatively young, and I know it's one of those that I would see every time that they would do some sort of, you know, the hundred scariest movies of all time, and they put on there. And I remember enough of it to remember thinking it wasn't particularly scary to me. But again, I'm sure if you were growing up in the 50s and your point of reference being what it was, I imagine. Exactly. It's terrifying. like watching a Hammer Hammer movie. Sure. You know, I absolutely adore those films, but they're not scary one tiny bit. But well, see, you can sort of appreciate where they're from, some of them. Speaking of the Hammer movies, I remember there was a, in the States here, there was a channel, it's still there, I think, called USA, which seems appropriate. And the USA channel was on cable. And we had a guy on there named Commander USA. And Commander USA had his groovy movies. And it was one of those Saturday B-movie things where he would host it. You know what I'm talking about? Did you guys ever have anything like that in your neck of the woods? Did, you never had them hosted or anything? Uh, only 22, huh? Yeah, wow. Well, you're, yeah, you're... Yeah, wow. That's impressive. Impressive. <clears throat> yeah, the, the horror host thing, I think, is somewhat... I know, I know there's other countries where it's happened, but I think that is a pretty, like, 
uniquely American institution. And it, but the Commander USA would do these a lot of hammer films. He did a lot of Mexican wrestler movies, did a lot of Godzilla type movies, and occasionally main, more mainstream stuff like Friday the 13th or whatever. But I remember I saw, I for years didn't know what it was, but it traumatized me. It was Captain Kronos Vampire Hunter or Kronos, K R O N O S. And it's a it's hammer, and man, it was it was really bloody, <laughs> and it was that early seventies blood where it was almost orange, and it just traumatized me for some reason, it scared the crap out of me. So to this day, I love hammer movies because there's something about the way they're shot, the look, the feel of them, that that they're otherworldly. They had this ethereal quality, or the, ethereal, Jesus, yeah, ethel. They had this ethel quality, a lot, quality, a lot like ethel. Yeah, ethereal, I think is the word I was grasping for and it just it's otherworldly just quickly as well did you watch the 2011 um i have not i actually want to i didn't realize it was a prequel i presumed it was a remake i i i knew that what bothered me was how it went down because from the way i understand it alec gillis who runs uh, adi uh, amalgamated dynamics and whatever the hell the i stands for (laughs) Inc. I guess that they were going to do or they did. They built tons of practical effects. They're they're a monster effect shop. And they you know, we've mentioned. Remember, we I, I'm sure you've heard us at some point in the show mentioned that Harbinger Down that Lance Henriksen was going to be in or is in. Yes. Is a recently made. They did a Kickstarter for it and everything that those guys, they're the ones that originally their shop built tons of effects for it. And I guess they even filmed a lot of it. And at the 11th hour, the studio stepped and said, no, no, we need to see you this stuff. Uh, and they and he even went so far, I think, as to put a bunch of clips on YouTube of what his stuff looked like. And it's incredible. I mean, it looks awesome. I mean, if you there is a video that Peter put up on the group one time. And if I can find it, because, you know, Facebook pushes everything down. You can never find anything. Yeah, yeah. But he put up a video one time and it was a relatively recent promo video showing all of this advancement in animatronics and robotics as it related to practical effects creatures i crap you not man some of that stuff looked it's, it's gonna look more real isn't it it did no. because it's almost yeah. a couple times i thought is that cgi because the fluidity of yeah. the movement but then it's like no because you could see the guy standing next to it operating the remote and it was every it was almost like they're able to capture every muscle every twit it was amazing like it looked phenomenal so i'm like why don't i have no problem with cgi when it's used to enhance things right lieutenant dan not having legs uh you know the you know taking it to make some character that normally couldn't be seen walking you know we see them in close-up and it's practical but then when they're walking in the distance it's cgi fine i don't care about that stuff it's when that's all it is it's weird, isn't it? It's the, it's, for me, it's the blood. That blood never Oh, and that too. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. So the thing you feel holds up for you nicely. I think uh, it would hold up for anyone that can can handle the level of gore. It's one of the few movies that is gory, but it doesn't annoy me that it's gory. Because it fe- I feel it fits so well. And because it's so otherworldly, it's like how Evil Dead 2. Yeah, it's gory, but it's so over the top and goofy or dead alive, a.k.a. brain dead. Uh, you know, that... Yeah, and also because well, you once you get to grips with the plot and you know what's going to happen and it's going to happen to everybody, you're sort of always waiting for something sure. to happen. Yeah, yeah. So, the, the other shoe's got to drop. Yeah. Unfortunately, it occasionally drops inside the gaping cavity of another character. Last one, one last question, yes. just about the film, yeah? What do you think of how it ends? 
I you you okay? Major spoiler: If you haven't seen the thing, go ahead and stop it now because I'm going to spoil the hell out of it. So you got Char- Childs and 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 Macready in the yes. snow. One of them is the thing. Well, like I've said, some, someone said to me before, or, or both of them could. Uh, does it just does it just um, assimilate one body at a time? Is that see? How it works? I I don't think so. I think it would assimilate everyone eventually, but I don't think they would act. Parent, they would know. It, it's like Invasion of the Body Snatchers. You could tell when somebody wasn't one of them. Yes. I think they would have been able to tell. Now, here's the thing. The uh, the immediate assumption is it's one of them. It is possible. It's possible it's not, right? It could be that neither of them and they're just playing this game. However, I, I want to say it was my buddy Doug McCoy on one of his podcasts. The thing is his favorite movie of all time. And he yes. did a cover of it. And the guy that was on with him made this argument for why, why Childs was the thing. And he broke it down logically. I was like, holy crap, he's right. It's Childs. It's really? Pre- it's Childs. Yep, yep. Because how it's left just for me, how it's left. Uh, someone said to me that, but but surely if like if, if you knew you were the thing as mm-hmm. such, yeah, mm-hmm. you, you'd both you. Someone said to me they're both they both might be the thing because they're both sitting there. Whereas well, I took it as because the thing is slowed down and cold, right? Because when okay. they find it, it's frozen and. Well, I guess the dog is technically what sends it loose. But it was it was when the when the Norwegians find the thing initially, prior to seeing the prequel. It was in a block of ice and it was contained. So that yes. implies to me, much like a reptile, let's say, it, it gets in the cold air and it slows down. I took it as, and I think the other thing was, if, let's say, go on the assumption it was Childs. Now, it would know it's a thing and it wouldn't care that he wasn't. It's feasible that it knew that if it could just freeze, that all the bodies would be taken back because there was a rescue team, no doubt, eventually going to pick them up. And he would be transported back to wherever and then he'd thaw out and he'd come back too well yeah but that's what i'm saying so then surely if you if, right if you to, to save ever to save the everybody else in this world it, you'd jump in and just die wouldn't you you'd go and kill yourself to save everybody else i think that makes sense yeah no that's see that's a valid point although i want to say the reason because oh, they take a shot of whiskey at the end right yes do they both drink off of it i'm trying to remember like, or doesn't uh, he offer it to Childs and he says no? That's right. I think that's right. And I want to I say think... that was one of the clues and there was something else because, and I think it had to do with the fact that it's alcohol, which warms you up. And I, there was a, there was some other reasoning and they, but the, the points he made, I was thinking, you know what? He can't a hundred percent say it's definitive, which I think is what Carpenter wanted. Right. Well, but, Carpenter, both Carpenter and Russell both said they have no idea what, what happened. See, what I happened think it's, it. I think it's Childs. That's my, that's my gut. Yeah. So I can only presume then that that's it. That was the end of Kurt Russell at that point as well. Then. Well, and so I know bye. that that's been one of the conversations that they've had is that yeah. because the prequel takes place when it does, right. that if they do a, another new version of it, could they get him back? But then I was like, well, guys, um, it's been uh, like almost uh, 40 years, um, well, 30 something get, years. I have to get the CGI up. There we are. Yeah, we'll, we'll do the Jeff Bridges like they did in <laughs> Tron Legacy because that didn't look fake. But I love it again. You know, I just love it when they end films like that, the way they've done it, because it just makes you think a little bit about sure. it. Just, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. As you would say, my friend, it's brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> it's bloody brilliant. <laughs> I don't know what the hell that was. I was like a Scottish, was Scottish. by way yeah. of a... <laughs> so, Ben, any final words? Do uh, you want to tell them where they can find... I realize you're the first person I've remembered to do this with. Do you want to tell them where they can find you? I'm going to have to add like little outros to everybody's. Oh, and don't forget to go listen to Daryl on the such and such and go visit so-and-so on the such and such. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Also, my balls didn't drop then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can find us over at www. 
thesamecoin.co.uk and we do a weekly game, video game podcast and we do we try to do like every two weeks but it's, it's ended up being about a monthly movie video, uh, movie podcast as well and I do it with my friends Dits and Chris Jellyman and as I say um, yeah it's all good fun I mean it, it, the movie show is a, it's, it's a little bit more explicit we, we, we do have an explicit tag on both of those shows but yeah um, definitely come and join in if you're into your video games or movies check us out for sure fantastic thank you so much for coming on the honor really, truly was all mine, and uh... it's been an absolute privilege for me, seriously. Because to remember, I started listening to you guys about a couple of years back. Uh, went back and listened to most of your shows as well, the ones I hadn't heard. And I'm as sorry, I say, it's well, <laughs> as I say, it was terrible. No, no, as I say, it was uh, absolutely superb. And I, I just to be, actually to end up and come and talk to you, it's been a privilege. So oh, thank you, much. thank you. All right, buddy, have a great one. Yeah, and you, thank you. Thank you for joining us for this special bonus episode of the 2014 Spooky Flicks Fest. And a special thanks to Ben Ford for sharing his love of the thing. And you can find his excellent podcast, The Same Coin, in iTunes. Looking for more spooky fun? Why not head on over to ForgottenFlicks.com where you can sign up to receive free updates and something horrific delivered to your inbox every day in October. See you soon. <laughs>